Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about the role of parents as imperfect heroes. I'm delighted to welcome special guest DJ Stutz. DJ is an early childhood specialist with more than 20 years of teaching experience. She is the host of the parenting podcast, Imperfect Heroes, and the founder of Little Hearts Academy. You can reach DJ at her website, littlehartsacademyusa.com, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome, DJ. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to meet you kind of face-to-face. <laughs> yes, video. we are meeting kind of face-to-face. <laughs> and, you know, isn't it wonderful that we can do that? Because it sure um, broadens the amount of people that we're able to connect with and the amount of people that we're able to reach. And I'm so grateful because I feel very strongly about what you are able to bring to the table that it matters and that parenting matters and Absolutely. raising wonderful children who feel loved and valued and appreciated mattered and helping set them up for success matters. So I am very, very grateful to be visiting with you today. And you know a lot about parenting and about raising tiny people. And you want to kind of introduce yourself and who you are and why you do what you do? Sure. Well, I am the oldest of seven kids. I was a big sister at 14 months. And my youngest brother, um, number seven in the clan, was born the summer before my senior year. He was three years old when I got married. So I went on to have uh, five children of my own. I've got 12 grandkids. And I've been teaching little guys for, like I said, just over 20 years. Just retired this year. Congratulations. Very hard saying goodbye. And now I'm doing my parent coaching and the podcast and all that full time. So I also spent 16 years with um, Clark County, so that's Las Vegas area, Department of Family and Youth Services. And I was a parenting facilitator there and teaching baby care, nurturing healthy families, back in control, which is like a teenager group. I even taught divorce parenting, which is weird because I'm not divorced. but um, I, I I taught in two women's prisons, uh, among many other locations. But man, was that an eye opener! Wow! So a whole broad spectrum of experience, and that's so helpful because parenting comes. We have some basics, and then we have a wide variety within that parameter of this is a parent, and this is what our responsibilities are. And I love that you brought up, you know, teenagers and trying to bring back the control because uh, so many times you feel out of control. I've lost control of my house and I have no idea how to get it back. And then talking about divorce and how that adds a whole new dimension to parenting and all it adds more problems and more issues that you have to be able to take care of. And then mm -hmm. prison parenting. I mean, that's a, a challenge that fortunately I have zero experience with. Um, <laughs> But boy, that sure matters. So as we're talking about parents as imperfect heroes, I absolutely loved that name because in that simple name, it encapsulates so much of what parenthood is. So can you tell me some more about why you chose that? I mean, I can, ex I, I can understand what it means to me, but maybe there's even more to it. Well, and I look back at, you know, my own experience with raising my kiddos our youngest, we actually adopted out of foster care when she was 12. And so that was a new experience as well. 
but I was just so imperfect. And no matter how hard I tried and I, you know, did everything that I thought was right at the time. And then, you know, you look back and think, oh, I could handle that better. But the truth is I don't need to beat myself up every day for the things that I get wrong. But if I can learn from the things that I got wrong, then I'm more of a hero than someone who's just mired in, you know, the rut of yelling and screaming and spanking and or giving in too easily. And we do all those things, well, some spanking, some not, but we do all of those things in our life with our kids. And if we can admit to our children that we are imperfect and I could have handled that better and I'm so sorry, I yelled at you, or I'm so sorry, this, you're still not going to get the lucky charms at the store, but (laughs) I could have handled that better. And they see that you care enough to come to them with that acknowledgement. They're actually going to trust you more. Wow. And that is kind of counterintuitive because Mm -hmm. I think as parents, we hope that we're going to come in knowing everything and you find out on day one that you don't know anything. I I mean, the things you thought you knew and the, you know, how many parenting experts are there who don't have any kids yet? And you see other parents, it's like, oh, you handled that so poorly. And then you think you know all the things. And then when you're in this situation, it's, oh, I don't know what to do. And so to be able to admit, you know what, I'm doing the very best that I can. And then even admit it to your child and to apologize to them If and when we make mistakes, then you say that that helps them trust us better. And I I really appreciate that. Uh, You talked about kind of we we end up going on on a couple ends of the spectrum as we're trying to maintain control and peace in our homes. And it can be either trying to be this authoritarian kind of military parent that, you know, uses their parent voice to yell and try to force compliance. Or we can just say, you know what, I am tired. I just want peace. You just do your thing. So how do we not go to those extremes? And can you can you give us some tips to go into the middle? And maybe even what is it supposed to look like? What is it supposed to feel like? What's normal? And um, how do I how do I do a good job? Well, I don't know what normal really is because we've got such a wide variety. We've got cultures, we've got our own family histories. We've got the countries that we live in very, very much with what is considered good parenting. And so I just kind of want you to listen to your heart. If you catch yourself yelling at your kids or saying something and you think that wasn't right, Or even as you look back on it and you think, oh, man, I could have handled that better. In the moment, we might not catch it. But if we're really thinking about being that parent, we're going to spend time, at I would say, at the end of every day, looking back on the interactions that I had with my children and evaluating them and seeing where we were with that. And then come up with a plan on and say, well, gosh, was it right after I picked them up from school or when I got home from work, was I trying to make dinner? Really look at that whole picture. And instead of feeling bad about yelling at your kids, maybe ask the question, why did I feel the need to yell at my kids at that time? And what can I learn from that? How can I make things a little different so that I'm setting 
myself up for success and I'm also setting up my children for success. When was the last time that someone was yelling and screaming at you and you thought, geez, I love that person so much. I feel so close to them. And yet we expect our kids to do exactly that when we're, you know, that parent that doesn't say I'm sorry or that doesn't look retrospectively at the day and learn and grow and then share that growth with their family. Wow. Okay. So you put so much information in one simple scenario, and that is how would I want someone to treat me? Uh How would I feel if the roles were reversed? And what would I expect? And I think we have, as you mentioned, we have different cultures and different expectations around the world. But some basic things to me Uh are feeling loved, valued, Uh and respected. And I I think those are cross-cultural. So um, just how would I like to be treated? If someone yelled at me, would I appreciate an apology? Or do I want, you know, do I want as a person who's been yelled at to just be compliant and do all of the things? How do I feel? I think that's brilliant, simple advice. And if our listeners can take away just one thing, I think that's a golden nugget of remembering that our children are not just our children. They are individuals and they have thoughts and feelings just like we do. And, um, and that they, that they matter. So, oh, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I really appreciate that. And two, let's add another dynamic to all of this. A giant's yelling at you, hovering over you. And someone who's maybe two, three feet taller than you are and is intimidating in that way. That even adds another piece of the puzzle in how kids can feel fear or anger and try to push back. It's for some kids, even though you don't hit them, but they can still feel threatened by that. And so if you get down to their level and you say, sweetie, I understand that you're really upset that we didn't get the cocoa puffs right? But it's just, that's not what we're going to buy. It's not good for our body. Sorry, Cocoa Puffs. And so we're not going to get Cocoa Puffs. We can make a list of some other cereals that are good and you can choose from that, you know, and, and realize too, that when our kids are having their own meltdown, which looks sometimes very similar to an adult meltdown, (laughs) to be quite honest. But if they're having that meltdown, just kind of allow that to go through and say, I can see you're upset. You need to cry. Do you want to cry here in the middle of the store? That's fine. We can go out to the car and cry there. And then when you're ready, we can come in. But you're giving them some options. And honestly, I have found with all of my experience, as soon as I give a child permission to cry, they stop much faster than when I'm trying to force them. Stop crying, you know, and and get up and let's go or whatever. That they will actually comply way faster than, wait a minute, I get to cry? <laughs> You're not going to try and stop me? Well, what's the use in crying then? That is so important that you brought this up. And I just recently read a book about um, childhood emotional neglect, which is so interesting because it comes from sources that you wouldn't expect, where it's people who are doing their very best, really. Yeah. And then you come up with something like someone's crying and you say, you're not, don't cry. 
you're not supposed to cry. And, and children get the message, oh, I'm not allowed to have emotions. I am not allowed right. to feel. And so as you're describing this scenario, which is common, every parent has dealt with it, where you have a kid who decides to have their temper tantrum in public, in the grocery store, and then everyone gets to see how you handle it, which is so fun. And so if we can come up with a scenario of, okay, this child has some feelings and they don't seem rational to me, but they're still having them. Let's acknowledge them and allow them. And maybe like you mentioned, we can put it in a more appropriate place. Like, okay, if you need to cry, let's go to the car and let you cry this out for now. And, and I'll go back to the store and I'll take care of that later. Um, so beautifully, beautifully put, uh, we can cause, un- unfortunately we can cause damage when we have no intention to, by trying to stop those emotions. I mean, what we really want is peace. It's like, stop uh-huh. crying, especially at the store, but still to allow those feelings. So brilliant. Thanks. And I think too, young parents, lose their little hearts. They're so sweet and so amazing. And they get very worried about what other people are thinking as they're walking by and looking. And the reality is now that I'm an old grandma lady that I'm walking by and I see a parent diligently trying to help their child through. And I'm not thinking anything, but bless her heart. She is working or he is working their very best. And, or even you just shake your head and go, yup, I remember that. (laughs) And there's not the judgment that, um, a young parent might think that there is. More than often, I think people are like, oh, that poor sweet girl or that poor fella, you know, trying so hard, bless their hearts. And, and there, there just isn't that judgment that we tend to think there is. That's wonderful. So maybe our primary source of, of thinking of what my response should be is not, what are people thinking about me? It's, well, let's see what the needs of the child are and let's see if we can um, meet those in a way that is appropriate. Um, so excellent point. Excellent point. Because we do feel judged a lot. We feel weighed and measured and condemned. And when we have awesome, wonderful people who have experienced it, like yourself, they are yeah. going to walk past with compassion and say, yeah, I remember that. But there are going to be people who haven't been through that scenario yet, who are going to be putting on the little judgment cap and saying, oh my gosh, can't you control your child? So judgment does happen. I wish it didn't, but it, it does. does. And and to, and it's easy for me to say, because I'm old and I've gotten to the point where I just don't care. You know, you want to judge me, have at it. If it makes you feel like a better person and you need that, then you could do, do whatever's right for you. But that doesn't change what I'm going to do that's right for me and my child. Oh, that's so huge. Okay, so if the judgment happens, because we cannot guarantee that it won't, we no. can still say, you know what? Their judgment is their problem. Mm-hmm. And they don't know the rest of the story. And it really mm-hmm. doesn't matter what they think. So I've heard it said that those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Okay, so let's say um, we've got kids that are fighting each other because, you know, siblings do that. Do you have some suggestions to kind of help maintain some peace and fairness? Fairness is very important when you're a child and an adult. Yep, yep. 
and we tend to use that word a lot. Um, and I think too, maybe taking some time, don't jump in with the siblings right away. Fighting with your sibling is actually a natural process in learning how to stick up for yourself, how to negotiate, how to whatever. And so give them a little bit of time to try and work it out themselves. And then I would also take notice, when is it happening? Where is it happening? What is it about? So if it's always about the same toy, maybe it's an idea to go get a second toy, exactly the same, you know, or there are a lot of things that go on between siblings. There's, you know, trying to establish yourself with an older brother or sister that seems more dominant. What I've found it the best way to work with kids is when I do come and intervene, say, okay, we're getting a little more than we need to be. So we're going to start with this process. And before long, they'll get very used to it. But you'll say, I am, I want to listen to Susie. Tell me what's going on. And Jackie, we're going to listen. You and I are going to listen. When Susie's done, then I want to hear what Jackie thinks happened. And, and then Susie and I are going to listen. And so we'll let Susie start and Jackie might jump in. No, that's not right. Da, da, da. And you're going to say, Jackie, Yes, I want to hear your side of the story, and we're going to hear as soon as Susie's done. And I would generally go with whatever child has the least self-control, <laughs> you know, um, the one who's not going to be able to, to wait to be listened to as well. And we listen to their side. We don't make any judgments. We don't say, this is right, that is wrong, but we just listen. And then we're going to listen to Jackie. And Susie might jump in and say, no, no, sweetie, Jackie listened when you were talking. We're going to listen. And then a lot of times just being heard is going to slow things down and make things feel better. Mom listened to both of us or dad listened to both of us. And then you might say, so here's what I'm thinking. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. And you know what? I've done this with, even with kids as young as two and three. And, and it's, it's helped. It's very interesting and sometimes quite comical in how they tell their story and whatever. And then you can say, is there something that we can do together to make this better? And so I'm not putting blame on any one person, but I'm kind of helping them come up with answers on their own. And it's amazing how many times they come up with really great answers that I, even I didn't think of. Or we can have some set things. I've had a, like a little box and it has little, I made little cards, laminated them. You know, I'm a teacher and, and it would, it would give a solution of something, wait five minutes or find another toy or, you know, just different solutions. And if they can't come up with their own solutions, you can let them pick out of the box and say, Oh, how does this work? We're going to use a timer. We're going to, you know, um, we're going to sit down and just be calm for five minutes or and just come up with, and it's going to be specific to your family. So there's a lot of products out there that will give you all of these answers and, and they can be very great, good, workable answers. But it's interesting when you come up with the answers that are specific to your family and add those in to that. And 
So that's something that I have really found have cut down both in the classroom and at home when there's that kind of contention that's going on. And now we're just looking for answers. Everyone got to be heard and we're looking for answers together and coming to an agreement. Oh, DJ, that is amazing. Okay, so many pieces that <laughs> of just uh, teaching, not only uh, being a mediator and, and a judge, but you were in yeah. the role of a teacher and a facilitator so that if you can gain these skills, then I, as the child, I'm going to, if I practice these, I'm going to learn how to be able to take care of these issues by myself. And it means, you know, I, I can come to you if I'm, if I'm little and I feel like I'm not being heard and I need some help, but I'm also gaining confidence that these are some skills that I can use in the future to be able to take care of my own issues. And I think that that is incredibly empowering. And I loved right from the very beginning when you explained the rules. You did not expect these children of whatever age to read what was going on in your mind. Like, obviously, I'm going to give you both a chance to talk because when kids hear, oh, I'm going to hear Susie first, all they can think of is, you're going to listen to Susie? That's not fair. And all of a sudden, is going on. But you very carefully said, okay, here's the rules. Here's the order we're going to do things. I'm going to listen to this child. We are going to listen. I'm going to listen to this child. We are going to listen. And then your, your, your unferometer is calm a little bit, like, okay, she's going to hear me. Of course, everybody wants to be the first one to tell their story. That's why they both want to talk at once. But still, explaining the order is brilliant. And then after listening and listening, you gave an input, but you didn't even jump in with a solution. You asked for something. What, what do you think we can do to make this better? What a, a beautiful teaching moment. Then it isn't, again, uh, where we have a jury and lawyers and a judge where the judge says, okay, and I now pronounce my sentence. It is, what can you do about it? How can we make this better? Here are some suggestions if you can't come up with something. That is simple and brilliant. And I also love that you brought in the idea that when we listen to experts and someone who says, I have all the answers. And if you listen to me, you're going to have this beautiful, peaceful, amazing home with children who get straight A's and behave so well. Um, because every child is different and they respond differently to different things. There is no one size fits all. And as parents, as teachers, as leaders, we ought to play a lot of adapt. It's like, okay, here's the general principle and here's the scenario. And how am I going to apply it into this scenario? So excellent. I appreciate that it's taught in, in the form of principles and a, a, a pattern and not as a, when this happens, this is what you do. Love it. And what's kind of fun is after you've done it a few times, the kids are used to that routine now. They know what to expect. And what's really, really cool is whether it's in the classroom or at home, when you notice two kids are heading over to the answer box on their own, without inter intervening, asking you to intervene, they go and they're pulling one out and they look at it, put it back in, and they go through with whatever choice they pulled out of the answer box. Oh and I've had that happen so many times and it's just, oh, they're getting it. This is so good. I don't think we could teach a more valuable skill than conflict resolution because any relationship includes disagreements. 
Uh-huh. You can't have a relationship without having disagreements. It, it just doesn't happen. And so to be able to have the skill set to be able to resolve those problems is a life skill more important than anything else we can learn at school. Our, our, our basic reading, writing, arithmetic, all those things matter. But being able to interact with another human being and come to a peaceful mutually beneficial or at least satisfying arrangement that's yeah. huge yeah yeah it is and think of like the relationships that's strengthening the bonds that it's making and so you have children whether they're siblings or classmates that are now learning to hear someone else's point of view at a very young age how important is that I can think of a lot of adults who <laughs> could use some strengthening in that skill. We uh-huh. still have a tendency to think, I, I just need to speak louder and faster and make sure to cut the other person off to get my, my, my opinions, which are obviously right, and my viewpoint, which is obviously right, uh, in order to, you know, get my justice and to stop and to listen uh, and to show that respect for another person, man, the world would be a better place. Definitely it would. And, um, and we would be in a better place. Our own selves, if we're looking just within ourselves, very often it doesn't matter whether someone comes and says, I'm sorry, or whether someone changes a routine. It's just like, oh, well, that's where they are. And, you know, if they want to come around, I'm not waiting for an apology. If they want to come back and be a part of things, you're welcome. That's all great. An apology is nice, but not necessary. But, and then if, but if you need to be away, you need to be over there and do that thing. That's fine too. I'm not sitting here in judgment. It's just not where I am, but you go do you and I'll do me and I'll love you wherever you are. And even though I may not participate in whatever it is that, you know, you've got going on if you need to remain angry at someone or you, you know, want to cut someone off, you you do you. That's fine. And if that's working for you, but whenever you're ready to come around, yeah, I, I'm open. That is amazing to not take it personally and to recognize that other people are doing whatever they're doing because of where they're coming from. And that is amazing. So I would love to hear, what do you think is some of the most important things that we can give to children? Wow. Well, I think the number one important thing we can give them is a loving, stable home. Um, If you can make sure that you and your spouse or personal friend, whatever it is that you've got going on, but that if you are showing you know, love and compassion to each other and then that to the children. And that doesn't mean that the kids never see you arguing. In fact, it's kind of great if they can see you arguing and implementing those same kind of tools that you're trying to teach the kids. So stability and love and boundaries too. A lot of the kids that I see that are really out of control and the families that I work with are the kids are just looking for some kind of a stability. They don't know what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, one day it's okay for me to go play this, but then the next day it's not. And I don't understand why. Or I know I can push if I yell and scream long enough, my parents will give in. And so I can change the boundaries that are there. 
You don't need to yell and scream at your kids to have a boundary. You just need to be persistent and patient. And so I might say, you know, no, you're not going to the park alone. And I don't have time to take you. I can take you in an hour or whatever. And they start doing their screaming. You can say, I understand that you're angry with that same thing that we were talking about, but you're staying true to the boundaries that you've set, whether it's we don't kick the dog or we don't hit our siblings or whatever it is. We don't watch this TV show or on your iPad or whatever, but you stay with that boundary and the kids learn that those are strong. There's no need to be angry and and rude and harsh in maintaining those. And I think those are probably the three big things that I would say are the biggest gift to kids. That's fantastic. And how wonderful that you brought up the boundary issue, that this is a a benefit to children. They might fight against it. Where where is my boundary? Where is my limit? But they need it and they want it because it makes you feel safe. Boundaries help us to be able to uh, make sense of the world, to be able to understand what are the rules, how are we playing, what, how, how does this work? And if, they, if the boundaries move, if they shift and change according to your mood, according to your tiredness, according to whatever, it's confusing for the children. And then, and then it's going to be harder and harder to try to maintain those boundaries in the future once you haven't established them. And I think they need to be fair. I mean, oh yeah, it, it's it, but not uh, lenient. I guess maybe is is a word where it's just yeah, just do whatever you want. But these are our rules. And then if kids come and say, "Well, at so and so's house, they don't have those kinds of rules," then what what would you say? Yeah, that's their family, and I'm glad that they have rules that work for their family. These are the rules that work for our family. And in fact, that's even one of the things that I taught when I was doing the divorce parenting classes is that, you know, if you, if y'all agreed on everything, you'd probably still be married. Right. And so uh, it's okay to have differences between the two homes. Kids understand that there are different rules for church than there are at the playground or at the library or in the classroom, all kinds of different areas at the ballpark, or they all have different rules that fit the situation. And kids are actually well able to understand that where there are rules for maybe grandma's house and then rules at, at our house or this family has these rules, this friend. And, and that's great. Those are the rules that work for their family. These are the rules that work for our family. I love that. And that's, I, I'm so grateful you brought that up because the divorce situation that happens so frequently that the, the mother and the father are going to have different sets of rules. And I've talked to so many parents who, when it's their turn to have the children, it takes a day or two for the kids to get into, oh, okay, now I'm at mom's house. Okay. The rules are like this. And it's really challenging if one doesn't really have rules and the other one has right. to try to strict rules because then... You, you fight back and forth. But to be able to explain and say, oh, remember, remember, this is my house. And when we're here, these are the rules that we follow. So I think maybe a, a reminder, even at the at the beginning of your, your your time with the children to say, oh, remember, 
we're here. When we're here, these are the rules that we follow. And, and just those reminders. I, I don't know. It's, it's a. Well, and I would say even as they leave too, is remind them that, you know, you're going to, let's say daddy's house. And I want you to really be respectful to daddy. He loves you. And remember that he has different rules. And I want you to mind those rules at dad's house. And imagine what that does to a relationship that is so broken that it had to be in a divorce. But yet the kids will say, mom said I had to mind your rules or dad said I have to mind your rules and be nice to you. You know, and what does that do between the adult relationship that's going on? That would be beautiful if we could have mutual respect and especially putting the needs of the children first. I really appreciate when parents, maybe they don't get along, they have irreconcilable differences, but they agree that these children matter and let's put the needs of the children first. What kills me is when they use the kids as ammunition to hurt the other parent. That, I, I have real issues with that. So I, I, anyone who's listening, please, please, please think about the needs of the child before you think of your, your pride. Um, DJ, this has been amazing. I appreciate so much the wisdom that you've shared. Is there anything that you want to make sure we cover before we close today? Um, I would say just as you're looking at yourself and how you're reacting and what you are involving yourself in and your family in, the first question you could, you should ask is, how is this going to affect my relationship with my child? And so... You know, if we're running them off to too many things, you know, consider that. Or if, you know, we don't really feel like watching the Paw Patrol movie for the 8,000th time, right? But the kids love it. Sit there with them anyway and just enjoy that time because it is so precious and so fleeting. Um, And you don't realize it when you're in the middle of it. And I get that. I didn't realize it either. And, um, but... Just always consider your relationship. What is your relationship with your child? And how is every decision I make going to affect that? I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. And our relationships matter. And I appreciate that idea and that reminder that it is fleeting. This time which feels interminable when you've got a two-year-old, but it really is short. It really is. And, and that relationship matters because as a parent child, you've got a blood relationship, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have a friendly relationship because when kids grow up, guess what? They get to choose and they get to choose to continue to connect or not. And it's what we do when we are in control that is going to influence if they want to come back. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I love your podcast, too. I hope people are really listening and following and making sure that they're up to date on your podcast. It's very, um, it's just very revealing on how we can have a better life. And so thank you for your work. Oh, I appreciate that. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Sue Atkins. She said, There is no such thing as a perfect parent, so just be a real one. If you are a parent, I invite you to show yourself some compassion and to allow yourself to be an imperfect hero and a deliberate parent. 
See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.